age if Clint Howard was in this episode on the planet? Oh, man. Oh, it was one of the kids? It was one of the kids, yeah. Yeah, wow, that would have made it a real horror story. (laughs) (laughs) Clint, if you're listening, and we know you are, we love you. Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. A fun and fascinating look at Star Trek, the original series. My name is Dana Smith, and as always, I am joined by my good friend, Dan Calzaretta. Good evening, Dan. Dana, hey, I uh, I think I got in a little trouble after last week's episode. Uh-oh. Why? Yeah, the whole, like, talking about killing of the children and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> My wife thought the episode was very funny, but she was a pediatrician, so <laughs> there was a little, oh. little something going on there. Yeah, I could see where that would cause problems, yeah. I was surprised more people didn't comment on Facebook and otherwhere to uh, about your comments about killing the children. Wait, wait, not just mine. I think, I, I mean, I, I think, think you... I said anything. <laughs> I think you agreed. You, I, you were at least nodding your head. <laughs> Those sweet, poor, innocent children. I don't know. I just wanted to put them in one of the uh, photon torpedo tubes so that they could you know, kids like small, tight places. Yeah, yeah. And we're going on a little trip, children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're going to do a game. See how long you can hold your breath in space. Yeah. <laughs> Before your eyes pop out of your head. Yeah. So. <laughs> do you think that would really happen? I mean, we 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 see movies, right, where people are in space. Yeah. But what really would happen? Like, no protection, no spacesuit or anything. It's cold, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like negative 240 degrees Fahrenheit, I think, or whatever it is. And uh, so that's that's pretty cold. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. And uh, because of the lack of oxygen, mm-hmm. and that I, I read, and it's been a while, uh, I read that uh, I believe your, your eyes would actually rupture. You die in a matter of I think you can live like 30 seconds or something like that. That's that too long. That's too long, Dana. Yeah. Because your eyes would pop out and you'd know it, right? Yeah. It would hurt, I would think. But, you know, you'd be cold, so maybe you wouldn't feel it. Or care. I don't know. (laughs) So, yeah, that's a terrible way to die. I would imagine. Okay, let's move on to listeners' comments. Let's do it. So last week we talked about uh, And the Children Shall Lead, and we do have some comments on that. Mark Haley said, anytime you have evil children, things just get plain creepy. <laughs> says, also at the end of the episode, Kirk orders the Enterprise to Starbase 4. He says, wait a minute, what about the crewmen back on Triacus? that the ones who he beamed out into open space were supposed to relieve. <laughs> so that's, a, that's an excellent point. Yeah, that's a great point. I didn't even think about that, Dana. I mean, they'd be stuck down there, right? No possibility of food. I mean, maybe they had a couple of snack bars, but they're going to have to dig up those bodies and eat them. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, th- I think there'd be food there. There'd be something. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I just like the idea that they might have to dig up some people and eat yeah, them. Yeah, <laughs> I, I knew that's where you we were going. So. Our good friend uh, Livio said... Uh, the UFP sign is killing me. Kirk looks like he's holding up his latest kindergarten project. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. She said, great episode, guys. Uh, your sacrifice of suffering through this episode was not in vain and brought me lots of laughter today. You mentioned this was in your top five worst episodes. What is your number one worst episode in your opinions? 
Dan, yours is definitely the alternative factor. So far. Yeah, so far. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And the children shall lead might be my, uh, my, the more I think about it, that's bugging me more all the time. So. <laughs> Those kids, man, <laughs> they just came to me in my dreams. I woke up screaming. <laughs> okay. Uh, our good friend Pam said, uh, you touched on this in this podcast, but I agreed it was a real WTF moment when Kirk beamed those crewmen down to the planet and wasn't actually there, they apparently just evaporated. I mean, how do they not have safety protocols in place for that sort of thing? Not a wonder that McCoy is wary of the technology. Imagine having to explain how they died to their family. Yikes. So sorry, we accidentally beamed them to a planet that didn't exist. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I agree. Julie Cole said... Definitely the worst episode, not just of TOS history, but of all Star Trek. Wow, that's a bold statement. I might have to agree with her. It's certainly up there. Yeah, uh, Peter Stringer said another poor TOS season three episode. No wonder it wasn't renewed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> William Barto said the worst TOS episode ever made, and he put in about 50,000 exclamation points. <laughs> <laughs> Roy Wayne Rogers said, most unwatchable episode of Trek ever made. And he had several exclamation points after that. So uh, maybe people's uh, exclamation point keys getting stuck. After that episode, I know why. We do have a uh, differing opinion here, and we'd like to voice all opinions. Gary Lynch said, fun, intense episode, underrated. All the slags against Melvin Belli are tired and old. He did a good as job as any of the other guest stars. I'd rather watch the third season instead of the second season's campy episodes when it was competing with against Gomer Pyle at times. So, Dana, I have a question for you. Okay, I'm just going to say two names, and I want your honest and unfiltered reaction. Okay? Okay. Melvin Belli, Julie Newmar. <laughs> Julie Newmar. I mean, he's saying <laughs> that... Marvin Belli. Melvin? What the f*** was his name? Melvin. Melvin. He's saying that Melvin Belli was better than Julie Newmar. Sorry, Gary, you're dead to us. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it's great to have a diversity of opinions, really. Yeah, well, I think there's been some really good guest stars throughout the series. So I I would disagree, but I appreciate his opinion. Yeah. I mean, Ricardo Montalban? Come on. Yeah. Julie Newmar? <laughs> Did we already mention her? Clint Howard? Well, actually, he might be right about that one. <laughs> Can you imagine if Clint Howard was in this episode on the planet? Oh, man. Oh, as one of the kids? He was one of the kids, yeah. Yeah, wow. That would have made it a real horror story. <laughs> Clint, if you're listening, and we know you are, we love you. Just hope you get your teeth fixed. Anyway, uh... <laughs> And maybe he bought the toupee, you know, Shatner's toupee. He could use it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Dan, did we have any more comments or any phone calls by any chance? No phone calls, but we got a couple of emails. First is from a brand new listener, Dean, from Burnaby, British Columbia, or Burnaby? How would you pronounce that? Burnaby? I'm going to go with Burnaby. I have no idea how to pronounce Never it. Never seen that name before in my life, so... Well, Dean can let us know. He'll maybe spell it out phonetically or something. But Dean from Burnaby, British Columbia, emailed us about last week's episode, And the Children Shall Lead. He said, great episode, a real bonk bonk on the head by Gorgon and his friends. (laughs) 
He continues, I wish Mr. Greensmocks, I, I think he means the Gorgon, would have had them sing Alamarine. It was a rhyme sung by a much less annoying kid in Deep Space Nine. This episode has made me appreciate Deep Space Nine's Move Along Home. What would Avery Brooks do when the little darlings started shaking a fist? I think Avery would not have put up with that. And then he says, kids in Star Trek, they just go together. You guys are great. So thanks, Dean. Yeah, thanks a lot for that. Next is from Anthony Seclair. Anthony says, as gentlemen, I'm assuming he means us. Maybe this email went to the wrong people. After listening to last week's podcast, I've come to the conclusion that you need to start from scratch and redo each one. In your episode counts, you must add WWSS. What would Sam say? As in Sam Kinison. <laughs> I love this idea. The possibilities boggle the mind when he says, we need to read these in Sam's voice. The trouble with tribbles. They're in my coffee. They're in my sandwich. They're in the food replicator. Ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> the alternative factor. Lazarus, he's sane. He's crazy. He has a cut. He has no cut. Ow, ow. <laughs> Devil in the dark. Here's another one. It's a rock. It's a pepperoni pizza. It burns. Ow, ow. <laughs> and he says, and on and on. Looking forward to this week's podcast as always. What a great idea, Dana. That was a good impersonation of Sam Casson. I liked your your screaming was right on. So. Oh, thank you. <laughs> what a great idea. That's a really funny idea. That's all I have for this week, Dana. Well, thanks to all our listeners for writing in. And uh, don't forget that we do have a phone that you can leave a message on. Dan, do you have that phone number for us? I do. The phone number is 509-676-6298. Well, Dana, I have a little challenge, phone call challenge. It's not the number of phone calls. That didn't seem to work very well. It's people could call in and do their best impersonation of one of the characters in Star Trek. Oh, I like that. I mean, it's got to be better than my impersonation of any of the characters, which are not good. <laughs> yeah, so call in. Give us your best impersonation of any of the characters in the original series. Let's maybe kind of narrow it to that. If we like it, or even if we don't, we'd probably still put it on the podcast, right, Dana? Yeah, oh, definitely. We're not We're not proud. So, so. <laughs> that should be obvious at this point. <laughs> yeah, I, my best impersonation so far has been of the Horda, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> season three episode five is there in truth no beauty i think it's one of only three episodes that has a punctuation mark at the end of it oh wow or question mark which is also a punctuation mark thank you for the uh grammar lesson yeah sure yeah i had a sorry i had a really God, stern English teacher in high school. Wow. Yeah, her hair was pulled back so tight. I'm convinced when she left school and undid her hair, her face just kind of all collapsed upon itself and looked like a shrivel up prune. <laughs> I had a really good teacher in fifth grade that helped me along with a lot of stuff. And then in high school, I had another good teacher who helped me along. This teacher hated it when anyone spelled a lot as one word. Wow. You know it's two words, right? <laughs> <laughs> She hated it, Dana. She would bring in like letters to the editor that they print in the paper and they had spelled the word as one a lot as one word. And she would say, Alet, Alet, what is Alet? What is Alet? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what Alet is. Let's move on, lady. Sorry, I, I, I've already gotten us off track. Ramble Jar, where are you, Ramble Jar? Got to pull that Ramble Jar out. Yeah, we need to keep putting money in there and then decide what we're going to do with all that money. Yeah. 
Okay, Dan. So uh, first thing we see is the Enterprise circling a planet that looks quite a lot like Earth. Huh, as, unusual, uh, huh? <laughs> as we hear the captain's log, we have been assigned to convey the Medusans' ambassador to the Federation back to their home planet. While the thoughts of the Medusans are the most sublime in the galaxy, their physical appearance is exactly the opposite. They have evolved into a race of beings who are formless, so utterly hideous that the sight of a Medusan brings total madness to any human who sees one. How, how is formless hideous? I, I don't get that. How is there a planet called Medusa? and that's where the ugly people are sure so in the transporter room a man beams up it's mr marvick uh kirk spock and scotty are there to greet him he introduces spock and scotty and marvick looks at spock and says oh yes you're the vulcan like he couldn't recognize him as a vulcan (laughs) isn't kind of obvious it should be And he says, it is okay for you to remain. Then he asks Spock if he, if he has a visor, and Spock says he does, and he will, he will be wearing it. Kirk says, we don't want to keep the ambassador waiting, so he suggests Marvick go with Scotty, as they have a lot to talk about. Scotty says, indeed, it's a rare privilege meeting one of the designers of the Enterprise. Kirk calls Uhura and says it's clear for the ambassador to beam up. So Kirk leaves, Spock dons these shades. Not the coolest shades I've ever seen. (laughs) They looked almost like they were maybe kind of from a ski mask or something like that. You know what I mean? Ski goggles. But they they were futuristic ski goggles. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that you would never wear skiing. Spock downs the shades and a woman in a box the size of a cat carrier beams up to the ship. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. It was about that size. So the woman raises her hand seeing Spock and gives this kind of, I don't know, it seemed like a half-hearted Vulcan salute. Right. And then uh, then she says, the ambassador is most honored to meet you. Spock looks at the box and raises an eyebrow. Uh, sorry, I have a question for you. Sure. So the, the ambassador is in a box, which sounds like some kind of weird McDonald's Happy Meal. I don't know. But but he, he's got the glasses on, but the ambassador is in the box. Why would he need the glasses? Why would everybody need to leave the transporter room with the ambassador? I mean, does he like, does the box spring open periodically and <laughs> drive everybody crazy yeah or maybe they <laughs> if they dropped it it would bust open and he would ooze out onto the floor or i don't know what happens or is it just the box maybe just the sight of a cat carrier on the enterprise you know drove people crazy i don't know <laughs> not another cat <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah I, I don't know i had the same question dan yeah so next we see Spock hooking up the anti-gravs to the cat carrier. So then Kirk calls and says they are ready. Kirk addresses the whole ship, saying clearance plans now in effect. Clear all passageways. And we see people on the decks, you know, scrambling to avoid going crazy by seeing this box. <laughs> it's another thing, Dana, that I didn't make any sense. Why clear the hallways? I mean, if, you, if you're worried about the box breaking open, okay, clear one hallway. I mean, don't they know where his quarters are? And what the quickest route is from the transporter? I mean, again, it didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, me either. And there were a lot of people in the hallways this time, Dana. We've never seen like this many people just hanging out, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. What were they doing? Just like it looked like a party in the hallway. It it did. Maybe that's what they were doing. (laughs) Well, we got this ugly thing coming on. We better party now because if it breaks out of there, we're all going nuts. (laughs) 
So Spock and Dr. Jones carry the ambassador through the halls. So they go into the ambassador's room. It's a big room. Yeah. For this little box to sit in. Couldn't they just put it in like a broom closet? Yeah. Would the ambassador know? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. The thing is, though, if if he's in the broom closet, some poor janitor is going to go, oh, I wonder, is this a new cleaning tool or something? What's in this box? (laughs) He's working to pry it open. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It'd be that bow-legged janitor we saw before in season one. Why why doesn't the box have a lock on it, Dana? Why don't they just put a lock on the fucking thing? (laughs) Or a blanket. (laughs) (laughs) A big sticker, do not open. (laughs) I mean, nothing, Dana. So they set the box on a stand that's like in the middle of the room. Mm -hmm. Spock says he would like the opportunity to exchange greetings with the ambassador. And Jones looks a little uncertain. Then she says, I'm sure the ambassador would be charmed. So then Spock dons the glasses, Mm -hmm. as does she. The box opens up. We see bright lights, then lots of green and yellow kind of bright dots flashing. Spock stares into the light, as does Dr. Jones. The box closes. Spock turns to Jones and says, I almost envy you your assignment. Jones says, I see in your mind you are tempted to take my place. And Spock quickly replies, not correct, doctor. Although I am aware of your mind attempting to contact mine. (laughs) (laughs) Then he says, were you born a telepath? And she says, yes, that's why I had to study on Vulcan. (laughs) It all makes sense now, Dana. (laughs) Spock asks to show her to her quarters and she says she will stay there saying the ambassador often finds transporting somewhat unsettling sure because you're inside a cat box (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if there's a cat in there too like are medusing cats formless and oh wow yeah yeah now I know that this is one thing that I look at a lot the carpet very dirty. Maybe they figured the ambassador's not going to see it. I don't know. <laughs> Once again, though, I think this has been a problem with season three, part of season two, is that the scene went on much longer than it needed to go on, Dana. Yeah, yeah. So Spock leaves. Jones looks at the cat carrier. She takes off her glasses. <laughs> sorry, the idea of a cat being inside of that thing is just hilarious. <laughs> just, sorry. It's, every time I saw it, it's all I could think of. We have cats, you know? Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's a cat box, Dana. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's why the guy's formless. <laughs> Just an odor floating around. Yeah. That's what drive people crazy. Yeah. Old cat litter. Yeah. Nasty. Yeah. <laughs> not good. So she looks at the box and says, what is it that he sees when he looks at you? I must know. So the next thing we see is uh, Kirk, McCoy, Spock, Scotty, Marvick, and Dr. Jones at a dinner table. And everyone is in formal attire. Yeah. Kirk is next to Jones and he's pouring her a drink and he is just like beaming at her. Yeah. He says, uh, I can't understand why they let you go with Carlos. And she says, they, Captain? And Kirk says, the male population of the Federation. My God, Dana. <laughs> Didn't someone try to talk you out of it? I, I was laughing so hard at this, Dan. So, yeah. And then she says, now that you ask, yes. And Kirk says, well, I'm glad he didn't succeed. Otherwise, I wouldn't have met you. Uh, I mean, he's, he's just like hitting on her big time in front of all the other guys. Yeah. Yeah, he is salivating. And Kirk says, how is it you were able to be with Kalos and be unaffected? And Jones says, I spent four years on Vulcan studying their mental discipline. You poor girl. 
On the contrary, Doctor. I would say that Dr. Jones was indeed fortunate. Vulcan is not my idea of fun. Joy can be many things, Doctor. On Vulcan, I learned to do things impossible to learn anywhere else. To read minds? How not to read them, Captain? I don't understand. And Kirk looks a little bit befuddled, and Spock says she was born a telepath. I'm sure at that moment, Kirk is thinking, oh, shit, if she can read my mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's either going to happen or it's not. <laughs> and Joan says, uh, Vulcan was necessary for my sanity. And then I came on this TV show. <laughs> for the second time spock says what most humans generally find impossible to understand is the need to shut out the bedlam of other people's thoughts and emotions joan says or their own thoughts and emotions she says i was just noting your vulcan idic i swore that she said i was just noticing your vulcan dick <laughs> that's what i thought she said I, I i think we can put that in the episode but she says i dick yeah. Or you, Dick. Which, which did she say again? <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> your Dick. Yeah. That's, uh... <laughs> Spock says, as a matter of fact, I wear it to honor you. So Kirk uh, tries his best to change the subject, and he talks about her mission. And uh, she says it's to find a way to employ Medusans as navigators of starships, because they've just been wandering lost in the galaxy for years, apparently. <laughs> And that never gets explained. Like, why would they be good navigators? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, how do you plug them in, like, to the, to the ship? You know what I mean? Does uh, the back of the cat box have some kind of, I don't know. A little USB port? Yeah, a little yeah. USB. Yeah. <laughs> so he says it would certainly solve many of our navigation problems. Like, I, I could get rid of Chekhov. Yeah, so. And Sulu, both of them. We can get rid of both of them. Yeah, I was thinking it'd solve most of navigation problems like constantly running into planets that are exactly like earth <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right so she explains that uh the keys forming a mind link with the medusans and connecting with the ship and that's where marvick comes in mccoy says i don't care how benevolent the medusans are supposed to be isn't it suicidal to deal with something ugly enough to drive men mad and spock says i see dr mccoy that you still subscribe to the outmoded notion promulgated by your ancient greeks that what is good must also be beautiful marvick says and of course the reverse is true that which is beautiful is automatically expected to be good that's why people think we're good dana they do because <laughs> we're beautiful <laughs> In our own way, Dan. We In are. our formless so. Medusan way. <laughs> <laughs> so Kirk says, yes, most of us are attracted to beauty and repelled by ugliness. This is just profound. That is the perfect <laughs> word for it. One of the last of our prejudices. At the risk of sounding prejudiced, gentlemen, here's to beauty. And they all stand to toast Miranda Jones, the loveliest human ever to grace a starship. Dana. Dana, no, please. <laughs> that, I thought that whole part was really bad, Dana. Oh, and it gets better. <laughs> Do tell. McCoy says, how can one so beautiful condemn herself to look upon ugliness the rest of her life? Well, I'm looking at you, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> he says, will we allow it, gentlemen? So they all drink and then sit back down. Kirk goes to give her more of the Ontarian brandy, and suddenly she is staring off. Kirk asks what's wrong, and she says, you men are so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> She says there's someone nearby thinking of murder. And then we see the image of the cat carrier in its own room. 
And then she looks around the room at the men and she kind of lands on Spock for a second. Then she says, it's gone now. Maybe it was gas, Dana. <laughs> so she excuses herself. They all offer to escort her to her quarters. Of course they do. She says she'll be fine. McCoy stops her on her way out and asks if she's okay. She's like, what part of fine didn't you fucking understand? <laughs> <laughs> And you went to medical school? <laughs> he kisses her hand and everyone appears smitten with her. She leaves and McCoy comments that she is a real lady. And Kirk says, yes, she is something special. But that hand tasted like kitty litter. <laughs> yeah. Marvick states that uh, Dr. Jones should be treated with respect. He's worked with her for a long time and she has remarkable gifts. Marvick excuses himself and Scotty asks to go with him. Scotty's got a bromance going there. He does, yeah. And he says, uh, well, you join him in engineering, but Marvick declines. Scotty leaves. Horrible, I think, this whole scene for the most part. Yeah, it was, and it went on forever. So uh, next thing we see is Dr. Jones in her quarters. She's walking around and smiling. And then there's a sound at the door and she asks who it is. And the voice comes, says it's Larry Marvick. Why doesn't the door just open? Yeah, if it was Kirk's quarters, it would have. Yeah, exactly. So he has to see her and says it's important. He comes in and it's obvious he's in love with her. He's like drooling over her. Yeah. He says he can't bear the thought of losing her to Kalos and begs her not to go with him. He goes to her and kisses her and she is totally unaffected. Oh, doesn't even respond at all. Oh, you just want that Vulcan eye dick. That's what you want. <laughs> and I can't give that to you. <laughs> So uh, when he pulls back, she says, I cannot love you the way you want me to. And she says, <laughs> God, Dana. <laughs> and she tells him to leave. And Larry just kind of looks a little sheepish. And she says, I want to help you. And Larry says, so now you want to help me? The great psychologist, why don't you try being a woman for a change? Oh, that was bad. So he leaves and goes down the hallway. And he stops and looks back and then starts towards her room again. Instead, he goes to Kalos's room and stares at the box. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Hold on a second. He had to knock to get into her room. Yeah, even though this is the thing that could drive the whole ship crazy, anybody and their brother can get in. Once again, no, like... Police tape across the door. Do not enter. You know, no lock, no, no guard. I mean, come on. So the the box opens as Larry pulls a phaser. Uh, the lights flash and Larry drops the phaser and tries to cover his eyes. He throws himself about the room and then finally goes out the door and runs down the hallway. He gets into the turbo lift and he's all like freaking out. And we see Miranda come out of her room and go to Kalos's. Turbo lift stops and Larry runs out and bumps into a crewman. Larry punches the crewman and then goes <laughs> running into engineering. Just hauled off and smacked him too. And we're getting a weird like fisheye lens distorted kind of thing as to give us his perspective, right? Yeah, yeah. So inside engineering, he asked for Scotty and we see Scotty's on the upper deck of the auxiliary control room, it looks like. Yeah. And Scotty's all smiles when he sees him. Next thing we see is Kirk and some security guards exiting the uh, turbo lift. They go to Kalos's room, and inside we see the box close as Miranda hears the calls for her. Miranda comes out of the room and says, it was Larry Marvick. Spock says, was he exposed to the Medusin? No, wait, did, did Spock say, did he expose himself to the Medusin? <laughs> and then the Medusin's going to go crazy? <laughs> Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> 
I never thought about that. Why don't people just expose themselves to the Medusa? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in engineering, Scotty is showing Marvick the controls of the Enterprise and says, here you go. The controls are all yours and a bottle of scotch will be waiting in your room if you can handle them. And I'll be there naked waiting for you. <laughs> 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 Playing with me, Haggis. <laughs> so just then, Kirk orders a red alert and announces that Larry Marvick is insane. Scotty turns back to Marvick and Marvick pushes him away. It looked to me like Scotty's stuntman had a lot more hair than Scotty, like it was longer. Uh, I think exactly right. I think you're exactly right. Yeah. So another engineer runs up, but Marvick knocks him down. Then he tosses another aside. Scotty gets back into the fray. Marvick pound scotty's head into the floor <laughs> that actually was pretty good yeah i was surprised yeah i, mean, I was like yeah that looks like it hurts yeah i mean he's he's like got his hand around his ne- hands around his neck and he's just smacking his head onto the floor so he goes back to the controls and pushes some buttons suddenly the ship makes a hard left turn so uh we see on the bridge everyone is thrown around and the view is looking out from the turbo lift I don't think we've ever seen this view before. Yeah, it was a very interesting view. I agree with you. Yeah. Sulu announces that they're traveling at warp factor 8.5. So Kirk calls security to engineering and goes to get on the turbo lift. In engineering, Kirk and security try to wrestle Marvick away from the controls. The security guards finally pin Marvick to the stairs. McCoy comes up and goes to give him a shot, but Marvick rants that he can't sleep. They'll get him in his sleep. Scotty manages to bring the ship to a stop, and so Kirk kind of waves off McCoy, and Kirk asks, where where are we? And Scotty says he doesn't know. Well, we're there in engineering, right? <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> Scotty said, we're in engineering, you stupid fuck. <laughs> Here's the funny thing, though. McCoy has given shots to people for much less. Oh, yeah, yeah. This guy just tried to destroy the ship. And Kirk's like, eh, let him, it's okay. No, don't worry about it. Yeah, let him rant. Why, why wouldn't you give him a shot? Right, exactly. So Marvick says they're at the edge of the galaxy. He says, we're safe now. So Miranda comes walking up and Marvick seems slightly changed as he sees her. And he says, you're here. I didn't lose you. And she says, I'm here. And he says, I, I, I can see what he sees. Then she seems concerned and says, no, don't think of it. And Marvick goes wild and screams, liar, liar, and deceiver, you're not alone. You brought it with you. It's here. It's here. You brought it with you. Oh, for Pete's sake. (laughs) (laughs) And then he tries to strangle Miranda. And he says, don't love her. Don't love her. She'll kill you if, if you love her. I love you, Miranda. And he tries to strangle her. Then they pull him away and he collapses. At any point during that whole thing, they could have just given him a freaking shot, Dana. <laughs> exactly. You know? I was like, where's McCoy? Yeah. <laughs> he's always got that thing at the ready. Yeah. So uh, McCoy checks him and says, he's dead, Jim. Hey, at least we got that out of this episode, Dana. <laughs> yeah. So we get a new captain's log as a result of Larry Marvick's insane fears. The Enterprise lies derelict in uncharted space. We have no way to determine our position in relation to the galaxy. We are in a completely unknown void. Yeah, this episode goes into an unknown void. Later, we see on the bridge, Kirk goes to Spock and asks, where are we? And he says, we're on the bridge, Captain. (laughs) (laughs) Spock says we are evidently 
far outside our own galaxy. When we exceeded warp speed factor 9.5, we apparently entered a space-time continuum. What? What? (laughs) (laughs) What is that? It's just they're throwing words around again. I mean, it's just, you know, it's... (laughs) I mean, they've been been over warp 10 at points, right? And they didn't get thrown into any space-time continuum? So McCoy comes along and says, I have the autopsy report on Marvik. Heart action stopped, cause unknown. Respiration stopped, cause unknown. Brain activity stopped, cause... Shall I go on? No, do not go on. Yeah, <laughs> Unless you're going to go on off the freaking bridge, then stop talking. <laughs> Kirk says, you mean he just simply died? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what my medical training tells me. Yes. Kirk turns back to Spock and asks for the ship's position. Didn't we just discuss this? I know. <laughs> So Kirk realizes that the Medusans could help navigate. Huh. (laughs) Spock agrees that the Medusan sensory system is radically different from the R's. He says he could become Kalos. Spock says a mind link that would allow them to enjoy the knowledge and sensory capabilities of both. So Kalos would be able to enjoy the Vulcan eye dig. To its full extent, yeah. (laughs) Oh, so juvenile, Dana. We are so juvenile. (laughs) then he knows dr jones will probably not permit this and mccoy says i don't think she'll want anyone to intrude on this kind of rapport she has with kalos fox says dr jones has shown reluctance every time i've asked to converse with kalos and some ways she is still most human captain particularly in the depth of her jealousy and kirk says i could confine her to quarters with him in it And Spock says, not sufficient. Her telepathic powers are formidable. If it is at all possible, her mind must be so engaged that no thought of what I am doing shall intrude. Hmm. What do you think they might do there, Dana? Kirk says, I think that can be arranged. And we know right away what he's thinking. Absolutely. So the next thing we see is Kirk and Miranda in a room full of flowers. Is this the arboretum that we had last week? Or is it... Sulu's botany lab. I was actually hoping to see the hand flower. Remember yeah. from season one? Gertrude? Gertrude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would have actually made the scene better. It would. So Kirk is just going overboard, doing his best to be charming. So uh, she touches one flower and moves over to the roses. And then uh, she's touching the stem and she pulls her hand back, obviously stuck by a thorn. Kirk holds her hand and she pulls away. Kirk says, someday you'll want human love and companionship. She says, shall I tell you what human companionship means to me? A struggle, a defense against the emotions of others. At times, the emotions burst in on me, or in your case, they'd burst all over me. (laughs) (laughs) And she says, pity is the worst of all. So, so Dana, I, I got, I've got to ask a question here. Oh, please. Is the idea here that Kirk is trying to distract her? Yes. So Spock does a mind link, but Kirk wants a sausage link. <laughs> Kirk says, I wish there was moonlight. And he goes to kiss her, but she's obviously not buying it. She just kind of like pulls her head back a little bit. And then we see Spock enter Carlos's quarters. And Miranda says, no, you must not let him. And she runs off and Kirk follows her. 
Outside of Kalos' door, Spock exits as Miranda approaches. Spock says the Enterprise is at stake. It's impossible for you to be involved. She says, I've already committed to a mind link. Why put yourself in jeopardy? Spock says, your telepathic abilities might be better than mine, but you cannot pilot the ship. She says she can learn, and McCoy says, that's impossible. McCoy says, you're blind. There's some things you cannot do. And Spock touches her garment and she's, and says, evidently a highly sophisticated sensor web. And Kirk says, Mr. Spock will make the mind link. On the bridge, we see Spock with the stupid visor uh, going to his science station. <laughs> So we see Spock go behind the shield and he kneels down by the cat carrier. So it's kind of like it's kind of like a little wall they've constructed around him. Like a cubicle kind of. Yeah. So Spock kneels down by the cat carrier. The door opens and we see the lights flashing. A moment later, Spock comes out from the behind the shield. Spock smiles and says, this is delightful. I know you, all of you, James Kirk, captain and friend for many years and Leonard McCoy. An asshole. <laughs> Remind me to show you my true form when I'm out of this body. Yeah. So Kirk says, am I addressing the ambassador? And Spock says, in part. So Spock says, now to the matter at hand. And Sulu steps away from the helm and Spock sits down. So Spock pushes some buttons and makes some adjustments. Spock says, coordination is completed. Then starts counting off to start warp factor one. So we see the ship move and Chekhov reports they are back to where they started, almost exactly. And then Spock moves away from the helm and Sulu returns to his station. And uh, Spock Kalos stops and says, how compact your bodies are and what a variety of senses you have. Dana, how many times have we heard this? Some alien being being inside the body. Oh, the emotions, the feeling, the oh, my God. Yeah, he says this thing you call language, though. Most remarkable. You depend on it for so very much. Including writing really horrible scripts, apparently. <laughs> but most of all, the aloneness. You are so alone. You live out your lives in this shell of flesh, self-contained, separate. How lonely you are. How terribly lonely. And Kirk says, are you fucking done yet? <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> He says, Ambassador, you must dissolve the link before you keep going on and on and on. <laughs> <laughs> and then Kirk says, there must be no delay. So Spock goes back behind the shield and the lid opens and we see that Spock is not wearing the visor. And then we see outside that Sulu sees the visor on the console. And so he hands it to Kirk and Kirk goes, Spock, close your eyes. Don't look. <laughs> See, it would have been a good time for Sam Kennison. That would have been, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we hear Spock cry from behind the shield. It was a weird sound. Probably the best line in the whole episode so far. <laughs> and Spock comes out and he looks odd. And then we see from his point of view, things look slightly distorted, kind of that fisheye lens again. Yeah. And Kirk goes towards him and then he grabs Kirk and starts fighting with him. McCoy comes running up and Spock pushes him away and McCoy like gets bounced off the railing. Then uh, Chekhov and Sulu both attack and they are tossed aside. 
Chekhov looked like he was laughing. It was very quick, but it looked like he was laughing. He had a big smile on his face. And then uh, Kirk grabs one of the phasers from one of the security guards and checks the setting, and then he fires at Spock, knocking him out. So next thing we see is Miranda with her hands on Spock's head. (laughs) Nope. No, not not taking the bait again, Dana. (laughs) Yeah, for the first time this show. Outside, Kirk is pacing while McCoy says, unless Miranda can look down into his mind and turn it toward us, we will lose Spock. What, what, what did it mean, like, turn it? What, what did she turn it inside out? Yeah, I don't know what any of this means. It's, I don't think they did either. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk heads towards the door and McCoy tries to stop and Kirk says, whatever happens, don't interfere. No, I won't, especially if something bad is happening <laughs> to you. I'm not going to interfere. So inside, Kirk goes in and uh, Miranda turns around and says, who's there? And Kirk sees she's not wearing her sensory garment. It's thrown over a chair. She says Spock's life processes are ebbing. Kirk questions whether she's really trying to help. She says his mind has gone down almost further than I can reach. Dana, what is happening in this scene? Apparently Spock's <laughs> mind's gone down the sewer. I don't know. It's, uh, it's, yeah, down the Vulcan toilet. Kirk says, if you don't reach him, he'll die. And then he says, but that's what you want, isn't it? And she says, that's a lie. And Kirk raises his voice, says, you want him to die. Kirk takes her by the arm and he pushes her up against the wall. And she tries to break free, but Kirk holds her with both hands now. Says, with my words, I'll make you hear such ugliness as Spock saw when he looked at Kalos with his naked eyes. And Miranda says, sadistic, filthy liar. And just keeps going on. Yeah. And she tells him to go away. And Kirk kind of backs out of the room. Outside, Kirk says, maybe I shouldn't have gone in there. (laughs) Yeah, maybe you shouldn't have. Next thing we see is Spock coming into McCoy's office. He looks weary. McCoy helps him sit in the chair, and Kirk asks, where's Miranda? Next thing we see is uh, Spock on the transporter pad with the cat carrier, and suddenly he's wearing the eidic around his neck now. And Miranda comes in, and McCoy says, uh, you have what you wanted most. And Miranda says, I am one with Kalos. Kirk steps towards her. She says, this was truly an eventful trip. Kirk says, I didn't think you'd talk to me. <laughs> But the writer had to get some more words in. So apparently, we're going to hear more out of you. And she says, your words helped me to see. So she steps towards the transporter as Spock steps down. Miranda says, I know now the great joy you felt when you joined your mind with Kalos's. And Spock says, I rejoice in your knowledge and in your achievement. Miranda says, I understand, Mr. Spock. The glory of creation is in its infinite diversity. (laughs) (laughs) was it the way i read it or is just the words don't make sense dana you are doing (laughs) a stellar job okay but it's like trying to make gold out of a turd you just can't do it so miranda gets on the transporter pad they say goodbye as she gives the vulcan salute and dan that's how this episode ends So, Dana, you have some information to share with us about some of the actors in this show. 
Yeah, Dan, for a change, um, not going to talk about the actors per se. I want to talk about the director, Ralph Sinensky. He was part of a trio of directors in season two and worked on a couple stories in season three. In total, he directed seven episodes. So uh, like a lot of TV directors of the day, he worked on a lot of different shows. I Spy, Wild Wild West, Mannix. Then came Bronson and the Partridge Family, just to name a few. Huh, Partridge Family, that's weird. Later on, he directed an episode of the short-lived TV series Casablanca, which featured the recently departed David Soul. Huh. Sinensky also directed the pilot for Dynasty, and Dan, he's still alive at age 100 and is the oldest living production staff member from the original series. Wow. We better not get him on. <laughs> he would die. And if people are interested, he also has a blog that he is uh, pretty active in maintaining. And uh, Dan, important note, this was Eddie Paskey's, who played uh, Officer Leslie, his last appearance in the series. Wow, was it because of this episode? In a way, he suffered a back injury while filming the scene of Spock attacking his crewmates. Due to the injury, he was excluded from the scene. This, along with the bright lights on the sets, caused him constant headaches and made him decide to leave the series after this episode. Yeah, Dana, it was the writing that was giving him headaches. It's kind of like the person who tries to scam the insurance company, you know, and they wear the neck brace. He's like, oh, oh, my back. I hurt my back. I can't, I can't act anymore. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you have anything you want to add, Dan? So Gene Roddenberry, he created the Vulcan Idick badge or medallion, not really because he thought it would add to the show, but he wanted to incorporate it so that he could sell it. And the cast was livid about it. They were, I think, really upset probably with Gene Roddenberry anyway, because he's such a douche. <laughs> but uh, at least that's what we've read. No one can sue us because we're an LLC. Um, <laughs> oh, they can sue us. Just <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, he, he wanted to sell this thing. And the cast was, they were very upset. And so to kind of smooth things over, he had to tone down how it was used in the episode. So they did show it a couple times, you know. The funny thing is, you can go online and you can buy all kinds of items with this symbol on it. It is kind of it is kind of cool. But IDIC stands for infinite diversity in infinite combinations. And it's supposed to be like the Vulcan philosophy of life, I suppose. So kind of a cool concept, but just that he was shilling this thing and trying to get trying to make a buck off of it was just weird to me. So Dana, what about some themes or dilemmas from this episode? Dan, they kind of hammered this home in one point, but uh, do we judge everything by its beauty? Is something that's beautiful, good? Is something that's good, always beautiful? I thought that was a very interesting point. Do you have a theme or dilemma you want to mention? It really follows along the same lines, Dana, about the concept of beauty. I read a statistic several years ago about how much money gets spent on just like beauty products and fat loss pills and all this kind of stuff. And it's billions of dollars in the United States, you know, and it's just crazy to me as well that we spend countless dollars and time trying to become, quote, beautiful. Dan, let's uh, look at the best and the worst from this episode. Do you have a best part for us? I thought Leonard Nimoy acting as Kolos on the bridge when he changed character and became Kolos, I thought that was really well done. He didn't like 
go overboard, but he totally changed the character. Like when I watched him and listened to him, I did not see Spock at all. How about the best part for you? I mentioned the director earlier. I thought the direction was really good. The editing and the pacing that they had in several of the scenes worked really well to heighten the action or, you know, intensity of the of the scenes that was going on. They used a lot of colors in the backgrounds. Do you have another best part for us, Dan? I like the alien that was totally unlike anything we've seen or in this case, not seen in Star Trek. So that was kind of cool that we got to see something really bizarre. How about another best part for you? Yeah, I like the idea of uh, the formless body alien. I thought they could have made it better, but season three, they were really on a tight budget. So this was probably the best they could offer. What do you got for one of the worst parts? Kirk assaulting Miranda in sickbay did not make any sense to me. Totally out of character for Kirk, I thought. Totally thought that scene was horrible. It's just horrible. How about the worst part for you? Kirk wooing Dr. Jones in the garden, whatever you want to call it. Uh, why'd they have to go there? It just bothered me that the immediate thing was, you know, Kirk, well, yeah, I'll, I'll take one for the team, you know. I just it, uh, thought they could have done something better. How about another worst part for you, Dan? Going back to that fight on the bridge and check off looking like he was laughing. It, this is not the first time it's happened. It, it, there was a fight scene in The Trouble with Tribbles where he definitely was laughing as he was getting like thrown across the bar or down the bar or something like that. How about a worst part for you? Why is it when people go crazy, they suddenly have the strength of 10 men? <laughs> Marvick was like throwing everybody around. And I understand they could be harder to handle. It took like Kirk and two security guards to hold him down. And, you know, he beat up everybody else in, in engineering. It was just it's like he got superpowers by going crazy. Dana, how about another worst part for you? I, I mentioned this a little bit before and we talked about it. I'm confused. Was it okay to be in the room with Kalos when he was in the box? Uh, <laughs> Kirk's in the transporter room with Kalos on the transporter pad. I, I thought it was only when Kalos showed himself, but they cleared the hallways before. I, I It just was very confusing. All right, Dana, I got high hopes. What happened on the state in history? Dan, you're going to be mad. Uh, I really tried. I really. <laughs> okay. October was a bad month for disasters, I guess. So. That's too bad. Dan, this show aired on October 18th, 1968. The number one song in the U.S. was still Hey Jude by the Beatles. Oh, all right. The number one song in the U.K. was Those Were the Days by Mary Hopkins. Wow, those both of those have been just hanging on. Yeah, I think that's four weeks now. So also on this date, American long jumper Bob Beeman sets an incredible world record of 8.9 meters, which is 29 feet, two and a half inches, in high altitude in Mexico City Olympics in the long jump. It's a 22-inch improvement over the previous world record. Wow, you know, most world records, they're broken, it seems like, by a small amount, 22 inches. I mean, he broke that by the length of Spock's Eidick. And then some, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also on this date, police found 219 grams of cannabis resin in John Lennon and Yoko Ono's London apartment. 
They were arrested, and later they were fined 150 pounds for marijuana possession. Oh, 150 pounds as in money, not they had 150 pounds of marijuana on them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 150 English pounds. So October 17th, the action movie Bullet with uh, Steve McQueen, a uh, film that featured what has been called the most famous car chase in cinematic history, premiered at New York City's Radio City Music Hall and became a critical box office success. Also, Ziggy Marley was born in Kingston, Jamaica on October 17th. Oh, that was Bob Marley's son, right? Yes. And uh, still looking for something to make you happy, Dan. Yeah. October 16th, Yeah. American mountain climber Jim Madsen fell 3,000 feet to his death from El Capitan in Yosemite National Park while attempting to come to the aid of two friends who were temporarily stranded on the wall. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, look, that is a tragedy. The guy died. But can you imagine the friends? That's a tragedy for them. So, Dana, should we do the counts? We definitely should, Dan. How about the dead crewman count for this week? Didn't have any, so we are still at 47. Shirtless Kirk Ripshirt, Kirk count. Nope, I thought he would try to bare his chest for uh, Miranda, but never got that far. So we're still at 18. And the he's dead count? We did get that this week. Uh, he's dead Jim, so that pushes up to 17. Nice. I'm a doctor, not a fill-in-the-blank. He's making me mad because he hasn't said this since uh, midway through season two. Yeah. So we are still at eight, and maybe that's all we get. Yeah, I don't know, and I don't want to look it up because that would spoil it for me. Yeah, exactly. I had the same thought. How about the supreme being count? You know, I almost said that uh, Kalos was a supreme being, but uh, not really. No, because he's an ugly fuck. So what does that leave us at? Uh, We are at 11. Violation of the Prime Directive? Not that I'm aware of, so we're stuck at 11 on that as well. Okay, taking over the Enterprise count. Marvick took over the Enterprise. True, he did. Yes, he did. I I had zero originally because I had, maybe maybe I fell asleep, you know, when he did that. (laughs) But yeah, that's true. So what's our tally? So that moves us up to 12. And who's commanding the Enterprise count? Even though Kirk wasn't always on the bridge, we didn't see anybody or hear him talk to anybody that uh, made it sound like they're on the bridge. So I'm saying that uh, we got a zero this week, Dan. And that means we're still at 29. Well, Dana, this episode, I think if it would have been cut down from the 52 minutes or whatever it, the runtime was to about 12, I think would have been really good. <laughs> I mean, I thought some of the concepts were good. You know, I like yeah. the idea of the Medusin. I like some of the stuff that Spock says at the end or Kolos says at the end about being stuck in these small shells and uh, and being alone. You know, that I thought was kind of profound. I, I, I liked that part. But my God, Dana, like you were saying earlier, it went on and on and on again. It's almost like in season three, they just, the, write, the writing staff wasn't as high quality. I, I don't know. What were your thoughts on the show? Same. I mean, I, I told you I went into it with kind of high expectations. I was excited about it. Quickly faded somewhat. It, some of it just seemed poorly written, poorly executed. The long conversations, it could have been better. All right, Dana. Well, hey, you know, not a fantastic episode, not the worst, but it was a little difficult to get through. But hey, we got through it and we're, we're better men for it, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> I sure hope so. (laughs) Yeah, what do we have coming up next week? Dan, we have Spectre of the Gun. I've got high hopes for this because my memory tells me that I really loved it. Dan, also next week, we're going to have a special guest on. That's right. Do you want to 
give people a little preview? Uh, we have one of our listeners who's attended uh, one of the conferences in Ohio, and she got to see uh, Kirk speak and also uh, Chekhov. Uh, she said they both had very interesting things to say. So uh, we're going to find out what it's like to go to one of these conferences. All right, Dana. Well, I'm really looking forward to that. Enjoy the rest of your week. Once again, a great time anyway, talking about Star Trek. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for getting together and talking about Star Trek with me. Even on the worst shows, we still managed to have some fun. Hope our friends and followers uh, feel the same way that they're having fun listening to this. Definitely want to thank everybody for writing in. And don't forget, we do have a phone that you can leave a message on. And Dan, that phone number. Once again, it's 509-676-6298. And what we want, this is the challenge, leave an impression of one of the characters in the original series, or I'll throw this other one in. If you want to take a line from Star Trek, the original series, and read it as though you're Sam Kinison, we'd love to hear that too. I like that idea. So until we meet again, live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. You can also call us at the Damn It Jim hotline. That number is 509-676-6298. Make sure to join Dana and Dan next week for the episode Spectre of the Gun. Enjoy the rest of your week, and until we see you again, live long and prosper. This has been a Ramble Jar production.